You're listening to episode 65 of the Pastor Writer Podcast, conversations on reading, writing, and the Christian life. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. Today, I've got a conversation with author and pastor Phil Ayers. Phil is a pastor of a church just north of Orlando, Florida, and he joins me to talk about his own venture into writing. We discuss how writing has shaped him as a pastor, the benefits of writing, even outside of the actual written work, but the process itself, how it grows you in ministry, but also personally and spiritually. It's a great conversation, even if you're not a writer, because it gives voice to the potential of what writing could do for you personally. I think you'll enjoy this one. As always, thanks for listening. Well, joining me on the podcast today is Phil Ayers. Phil is a pastor serving what he describes as a small church just north of Orlando, Florida. And Phil blogs and writes about the challenges of doing ministry in a small church context. He's published two books, How to Survive Ministry and Flannel Graph Jesus. And he's also the host of the Bible Revealed podcast. Phil, it's an honor to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be talking with you. Maybe a good place to start is tell me a little bit about the church that you pastor, and then also when you developed this passion for small church pastors in particular. Yeah, the the church I pastor, we're located just north of Orlando. I say it's a small church, but I guess technically it's a medium-sized church. So our attendance is about, it fluctuates between 180 and 200 each week. Um, so it's a good-sized congregation. I mean, there's plenty of things to do, uh, plenty of needs, plenty of people to work with, but... You know, down here in Orlando, and I imagine in other places in the Midwest and, uh, well, I guess all over the country, there are very large churches, too. I mean, there's a church that I think is just around the corner from us. I I think I've heard they're like the second fastest growing church in North America or something. So we do seem to be in the shadow of large churches, so I think sometimes that's why I, I express it like that. But my passion for small church pastors sort of started out of that pressure to be a large and successful church. So I've been at this church for 16 or 17 years. I've been here since almost the beginning. You know, we had this dream of being a mega church, which sounds terrible. I know that. <laughs> God straightened me out on that. But, you know, I felt all this pressure and everywhere I would go, whether it was books or conferences, it was, it seemed like it was all about success being a, uh, you know, having lots of people come and, um, you know, taking part in, conferences, and I just didn't find a lot of encouragement because God wanted our church to stay a certain size. And so I said, well, if I can't find that kind of encouragement, I'm going to be that kind of encouragement and try to write for other pastors who are serving in churches, you know, small churches from 25 people to 100 people who, um, you know, who just need that same kind of encouragement to, to be faithful where they're at. Yeah, for some of the listeners who are pastoring, they'll know exactly sort of that pressure you're describing and, and what that process looks like. For some that are listening who may just be attending a church or who may come as writers, um, maybe they're not. You can kind of have an idealized version of this small church pastor, right? Like, oh, it must be so nice yeah. and none of the pressures, none of the challenges. So what is it that's so difficult about doing ministry in that sort of small context? Well, it's... It's of course, and it seems sort of obvious, but it's all the hats that you have to wear when you're leading a small church. And I, I do admit, like I have been in larger churches, and I realize the pressure is different. I mean, there's plenty of pressure. I don't think it's easier to be in a large church. Matter of fact, it's probably much more difficult. But I think the the challenge of being in a small church is that, you know, every church, no matter what size it is, has 
the, a certain amount of needs, right? Like you need a website and you need to be doing outreach and you need to have a men's ministry, women's ministry. You need someone to take care of the facility if you have one. Um, you know, there's a certain amount of needs and large churches seem to have more people available or maybe they're, they have more finances where they can hire those people. In a small church, it's sometimes just the pastor. Uh, maybe the pastor and a bunch of volunteers or, you know, maybe the a bivocational pastor or maybe a pastor who's not even being paid. And they still are trying to do all those same things. And my frustration is, um, you know, my passion is to teach the word. And I'm often frustrated that that's almost the last thing I take care of. And I'm not proud of that. I mean, I wish I had 20 hours a week to spend preparing sermons, but I don't. I have to get those done much quicker. And so I think that's that's some of the frustration of the small church is, is there's a lot to do and there's fewer people to do it. Yeah, I you know, I shared on the podcast before too. I pastor a small church as well, smaller than the one that you're pastoring and uh and similar ways I live in in uh southwest Missouri, so there's uh it's sort of the land of large churches as well. Mm-hmm. And uh it's easy to think that that uh that as a small church pastor, like my passion for the kingdom's growth or for evangelism is somehow small because I often talk about contentment in that role and like learning to embrace the congregation God has given you and pastor it well. And um, I often think uh, that when you look at some of these large churches, the leadership skills that it takes to be able to manage an organization that size is something, quite frankly, I just don't know if I have or ever will have. And to, to imagine that every pastor should at some point develop those skills, I think it's just unrealistic. It's not the way God's gifted all of us. Um, but the thing I always remind myself as well, too, is the, the growth of the kingdom, the, the thing that God is doing throughout all of our churches and the growth that's happening within Christianity is not solely dependent on me as an individual. Um, what I've been called to do is to pastor and to steward this congregation and to, in all ways possible, share that faith and grow that congregation. But the thing I take so much comfort in and, and that really helped me sort of move past some of those pressures was the realization that if God could call me to pastor this small congregation— there are a lot of people in this world with the skill set I have that could pastor 50 people, way more than yeah. there are that the skill set to pastor 50,000 people or some mega church. So uh, God really is capable of growing this church through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these small church pastors, and there being still the kind of growth that we would all love to see in church, general, in all of our churches, through more pastors and more churches and more church plants, doing this sort of small, focused, sort of content ministry with the congregation God gives you. It really freed me to sort of embrace small church ministry in a way with a kind of contentment that I, I didn't always have, especially in the beginning. Oh, I so I totally agree. I you know, and you mentioned this on your podcast before. I know we're both big fans of Eugene Peterson. But, you know, his his books and specifically he's written three books that are just for pastors. Um I think one was called um The Contemplative Pastor and Under the well, I can't remember them all, but it's like the idea was is to not just to be okay with being quote unquote small, but to to embrace it and say, this is the ministry that God's given to me. And just because there's a church that's big around the corner, that doesn't make them you know, good and us bad. And I have nothing against big churches. I mean, they're doing something that God's called them to do. And you know, it's just not what we're called to do. But I also believe that small churches can do a lot of things that big churches are not able to do. And so I've just been learning over the years to be content, like you said, with um, with 
you know, the, the church that we have and making sure that it's healthy and making sure that people are growing in their faith personally. And I do know that it is having an impact on the kingdom because I see other churches being formed or we're sending people out into different ministry sort of areas. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're very similar in that, in that sense. Yeah, I actually think large and small churches, which is kind of a, a dichotomy that may not really exist, right? There's really a full range of churches across these sizes. <laughs> but for the sake of the conversation, I think they actually support each other in more interesting ways than we acknowledge. Um, you know, large congregations have the opportunity to do evangelism and outreach in a way. Honestly, my small congregation just doesn't have the resources to do. But the other secret is, uh, having worked in a large church and been around them as well, the larger a church gets, the more that church is trying to make the experience small. You know, large churches really put a lot of emphasis into small groups and trying to connect people through volunteer opportunities into ministry teams and so really these two things, we need them both to exist. We need the ability to reach people and to have the resources to create curriculum and do it. And at the same time, we need contexts where people can live out their faith in deep relationships and in personal ways. So I really think there's a lot more collaboration there than maybe sometimes we appreciate. I think the only thing that frustrates me is sometimes that people will come into the church, into like my church, for example, and assume that the model is – uh, you know, the quote unquote big church and like, hey, how come you're not doing more to build the church? We need to grow. And you spend a lot of time trying to um, retrain or uh, help people understand sort of this biblical idea of what church is and what it isn't. And so I do find myself uh, in that in that sense doing a lot. Although I'd love to say this, you know, based on what you said, this is a great paradox is the small church constantly trying to be like the big church in terms of their programming and and their um, presentation and the the large church trying to be like the small church in terms of its you know maybe ministries or families or small groups so that's an interesting paradox how the two are kind of trying to figure out how to be like each other yeah it really is well you um you've written before that for you writing in the middle of this process came about because of your own personal need um, you write at one point that I needed encouragement. And so that was sort of the the motivation for beginning the blog. I'm really curious if you could explain that and how it came about. Basically, I wanted to be like um, a modern day Eugene Peterson. Um, I was so um, encouraged by the fact that, you know, well, my first exposure to Eugene Peterson was, of course, the Message Bible, and I was assuming that this guy was some kind of, uh, you know, deep theologian of some kind who was um, just, you know, cranking out, uh, you know, Bible translations. And then I found out, no, no, this was a pastor of a small church in Maryland who served faithfully for 30 years, and that impressed me. And then I realized he had a bunch of other books, and so I said, you know, I want to pick up on that. And continue this idea of making and helping pastors feel good about their ministry no matter what size the church was or no matter where they were in the process because there's a lot of pastors um, who are really struggling. Um, depression is a big issue among pastors. Uh, even here in Orlando, you know, we had a pastor uh, not not that long ago who was, you know, pastoring a church and um, – Became very successful and then, uh, you know, found out uh, that uh, he was having some struggles in his life and he took his own life. And it was really, really challenging to see that happen. And so I just figured there needs to be more, um, you know, more 
writing out there that helps people. So the first ebook that I wrote, it's an ebook and it's called How to Survive Ministry. And I had planned to sort of make this a series and I still might do that, but it was sort of the basics. Like here's what you need to put first to make sure that ministry doesn't get the best of you. And because I have seen a lot of young pastors or pastors in smaller congregations who get tired, they get worn out, they quit the ministry or they lose their families and it's a shame. Well, how then in that process of writing, so coming from this place of saying, okay, I know what it is to go through this experience. I want to write into that experience to help others in the same place. How have you seen over the years of doing that, of blogging and writing and putting content out, how how have you seen that benefit you personally and, and maybe spiritually as well, the impact of writing consistently? For me personally, it was about finding some discipline that was missing in my life. Writing is an act of being creative. And I used to feel like, creativity was something that sort of just showed up when the moment was right, like this idea of inspiration, and it would just kind of pop into your mind, and then all of a sudden you would start creating. And when I started uh, becoming, or when I became a teaching pastor, I realized, like, I've got to create uh, sermons. I've got to create content on a weekly basis. I can't wait for ideas to just show up. And so I learned how to do that, how to say, okay, let me... Uh, let me spend some time in prayer. Let me open the Bible uh, because next week I have to talk about it and I need to share something with people. I need to share something inspirational and um, something that people can apply in their life. And the same is true about writing. It's an act of creativity that you sort of have to harness. And so for me, writing was very helpful spiritually because it helped me find some discipline and also helped me develop ideas that would become sermons or that become um, – podcast episodes or that become blog posts, and that was helpful for me because it kind of allows me to uh, focus the content, and I can see it in the big picture rather than just being, this is just for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. This content can help people beyond that time. It can help people on a blog or in a book or you know on a podcast or video. Yeah, so it makes sense that for you, writing is it's sort of playing this role in helping you clarify your thinking. And spiritually, for me, writing has been a big part of just okay, what do I actually believe about this? My first, my first thought that comes to mind is not often the right one. So writing forces me to really think through what I believe. But I'm curious, you know, is your sort of writing for you is about embracing this role you have in ministry as a pastor, helping others sort of embrace their place of ministry as well. I'm curious how that impacted you as a pastor and the work that you were doing in your congregation, did the writing sort of flow back into, you know, you're doing this for the benefit of others, but did it flow back in and benefit you as a pastor in your congregation as well? Yeah. So I see that question on two levels. Like one, how does it benefit me personally as not as a pastor, but as Phil, as a follower of Christ? And then like, how does it benefit me as a pastor within the congregation? So let me answer like the first one, for me, writing has been great because it has put me in touch with with trying to find some discipline that's necessary, I think, to be to be a follower of Christ. So I've got to be in the Word more because the stuff I'm writing is coming from the Word. That's helpful. It's helping me to get deeper into it and to really sort of dig around. And then, you know, the process of writing is so helpful because you're taking these tangled thoughts and ideas and you have to put them into some sort of format. So for me personally, that is very helpful. It kind of keeps me focused. Now, as a pastor, I think it's helpful in a few different ways. I mean, obviously, like having a book is helpful because people go, oh, he has a book. He must know something. (laughs) 
Um, but it's also been helpful because the process now of creating um, messages that are inspirational and helpful to people, I'm seeing it now, the whole process from beginning to end, because now when I'm looking at doing a teaching series, I'm thinking, okay, will can this be a book one day? Could this sermon become a chapter in a book? And so I'm I'm putting together content that has, I think, a longer lifespan, you would say, maybe a bigger impact. And it also helps me focus that content. content. And I think the congregation appreciates that. I mean, not everything I'm preaching is becoming a book, but I'm trying to do that once a year. But I think the congregation appreciates that because they see more effort going into it and being more purposeful, you know, on a on a bigger scale or, you know, maybe a bigger level. Well, one of the other things I want to explore, because anytime we start talking about writing, and I'm so I'm so aware of this from my own experience, but for listeners hearing the podcast is, it's really easy for us to start saying like, hey, I wanted to start blogging, so I did it. And hey, I wanted to write a book, so I did it. And uh, the reality is, I know there are real struggles in the process of writing. And that just that like that first act of saying, I'm going to sit down and write is hard. And then the act of sharing that writing is hard. And then the act of continuing to do it in a way that improves is hard. Um, what have been some of the struggles for you over the last few years as you're trying to embrace more writing, you're trying to sort of allow that writing to shape you personally, but also pastorally, and then support others in pastoral ministry? Maybe you could just share some of the struggles that have been involved in that process of doing it consistently. Yes, the struggle is real. <laughs> I wrote an article on Medium. I think it was called The First Time I Quit Writing. And it's a good example of, I think, what anybody who wants to write goes through. You know, I wanted to write, and so I would sit down and I would sort of fumble through it and do my best. And one of the first mistakes I made was I would like call a couple of friends, a couple of pastor friends. I'm like, hey, check out this writing. What do you think about it? And I never heard anything back from them. And then, of course, that was created a bunch of self-doubt. Maybe I'm not any good. Maybe they, um, you know, maybe they are just too nice to say anything about it. I mean, self-doubt is probably the biggest challenge for me and I think for a lot of writers. Um, it is a lonely process for a lot of writers. I mean, there's this idea that you're just, you know, sitting down and writing this. Who wants to read this? Is it any good? What I did is I joined a group, and I'm not uh, trying to um, plug them. Well, I guess I'm plugging them. Uh, the Tribe Writers, which was it's sort of an organization, an online thing, and I received a lot of encouragement back because everybody in that group was exactly like me. They had this desire to write and this desire to make an impact. But we're missing some of the support that they needed and also maybe some of the tools and the teaching that they needed. And so that was a huge, huge impact for me. And I think the second thing, the biggest thing that I learned and is helpful is I, I assume that when you write, it's just good and done. And what I realized is that's not the way it works at all. You know, you you write something and it's terrible, but that's okay because inside of there are great ideas. You just needed to get them out. And then the editing process of going back through things, tightening things up, removing, adding. And then even when it comes to a book or something like that, you know, having a good editor to come in there and, and has an, a, sort of an objective uh, viewpoint and can help improve those things. So I, so I realized like, okay, the process is hard and it's difficult, but you've got to stick to it. And you've got to develop that consistency and then you've got to bring people around you who can encourage you or do things like edit and things like that. That was the only way I got through my first book was realizing that it didn't have to be perfect. 
and that there were people out there that were doing exactly the same thing as I am or as I was and struggling a little bit but but being successful ultimately. Yeah, I think that's I think everybody it's funny you said the first time I quit writing. I think that will resonate with people because the truth <laughs> is like we all have a little bit of that in our past, right? Like I I have several years ago starts and stops where I would say, "Okay, I'm going to do this." And then you write something and you're like, "God, oh, this is terrible." And you stop for months at a time and then, "Okay, I'm going to start this again too." And and uh in some ways that in some ways that gets better as you continue to write and just force yourself into it as the writing gets better as you do get support. But I think there's always a, a bit of that that sticks around. Uh, for me, it's never been the experience of writer's block. Like, I don't know what to write. It's not, it, it's not been, uh, it, it's probably been something more just like the value of it or, or the, um, the, the belief in it, right? That, that sometimes that can get so questioned. Are there struggles you still find yourself having, even after having, you know, put out material, been blogging for a while, started a podcast, struggles that you still find yourself in and sort of the, the week to week work of writing and podcasting and producing? Besides the consistency part, which I think will probably last my whole life, where I'm just like, I've got to, you know, wake up and I try, my goal is to get 500 words a day on whatever it is, if it's a book that I'm working on or if it's a blog post. But honestly, my biggest struggle is marketing. I don't like the marketing aspect of, I mean, I'm writing this and I'm, I want to build an audience and it feels sort of selfish. Like it feels sort of like, hey, follow me. You know, read my posts or, you know, get on my email list. And it's sort of a necessary part of the way things are going right now with the Internet and whatever. I mean, my goal is to have an impact. So I need people to read and I really want to offer things to people, Christians who are struggling, who want to know how to read the Bible or how to make the Bible more practical or effective in your life. That That's my goal. But in order to do that, people have to read. So I'm always struggling with that. That balance of self-marketing, self-promotion. Um, I wish that like somebody else could do that for me or or I wish that just people would just show up, but it doesn't work that way. So I think that's one of my big struggles. Yeah, I think that's – again, I think you're articulating one most Christian writers <laughs> would say as well that is real and we know. I mean I feel it with the podcast. I feel it with my writing as well. And you know, one of the things I've – that has helped me um, oh, in a sort of 30,000-foot view is – if if you are depending on it working, if you're depending on people showing up and reading the article and it getting recognized and retweeted and shared, and if like the motive for the work is that, like it's gotta it's gotta succeed. I just don't know if there's enough in that to sustain the amount of work that goes into the process. <laughs> At some point, you really have you have, to, and that's kind of why we've been talking about the personal benefits or the mis- ministry benefits to writing. Because in my mind, one of the big learning experiences has been those things are valuable enough to sustain sustain the work. Should should, you know, a hundred people read an article or should a hundred thousand people read the article? If having written that article and thought through what I believe about that topic and forced myself to articulate it, um, Mick Silva, who's a, been a guest on the podcast a couple times, always used to say that good writing is good thinking, right? So if you can really yes. wrestle with an idea and articulate it and figure it out, is the benefit of having done that enough to sustain the work? If it's not, if you really need the success, then I think there's stuff to explore there personally. And it's not always pure. My motives are not, they're always, you know, you're always sorting this out. But if I can get to the point where I recognize that the value is in the work, then it creates a kind of stamina in doing that work and an enjoyment in doing that work that isn't just dependent on it's paid off in the end. Well, the come full circle with our conversation is very much like the the sort of challenge between wanting to be a big church and, and being content with being a small church. 
I think you and I have a lot of similarities. We're both pastoring a church. We both have this passion to write. We may not become the next, um, you know, John Piper or Tim Keller. You know, they seem like they're writing a book a week or something. Um, but there is value to the, you know, I think a few hundred people have read my book, and that's pretty good if you think about that. I mean, even if it helps just a few people to gain a better understanding of their faith or to grow closer to God, that's valuable in itself. So it's finding contentment in sort of the role that you've been given. That's why I think like every pastor should be a writer. I wrote an article about this a while ago, five reasons why every pastor should be a writer. But if you think about it, um, it just makes sense for the personal reasons of building discipline and helping sort your thoughts out. But I've always said that, you know, as a pastor, the things you say in the pulpit, that forms a spiritual fingerprint for all of the people who are, you know, listening to your teaching each week. And it, and that's a spiritual fingerprint that doesn't have to stop when you're done talking. If you think about this, you would preach a sermon, maybe it's 25 or 30 minutes. Maybe you put 10 or 15 hours of work into that. And once you're done speaking, it goes away forever. It just disappears. And it might be on, uh, you know, maybe a church recording or a website somewhere. But if you think about this idea that the Holy Spirit gave you to, to prepare this content, to carefully look into God's word, and if you believe that the Spirit's going to work through that teaching, it's biblical teaching, then why not put that into a blog post or why not put that into a book so that it can have an impact that lasts for years and years and years? That's why I think every pastor should at least think about it, start a blog or you know, start writing a book or, or, or something like that, a podcast maybe, whatever it is to help you hone your ideas and, and then let them grow. Yeah, I used to have this little routine, especially early on when I was sort of out of seminary and, you know, as you described it earlier, sort of dreaming about what ministry would become and, and I'm in a small <laughs> church context. I used to have this little routine to sort of test my motives because they weren't always pure. And I would sort <laughs> right. of say, say to myself, like before, when I would get up before my congregation, you know, 30 or 40 people there, and I would say to myself, if, okay, God, if, if you ask me to be faithful to these same 40 people, for the next 40 years of ministry, right? Till, till the very end. Right. When I'm lying in a hospital bed in my last day, could I be content and fulfilled knowing that I had been faithful to what you've given me? Or am I wanting more? And sometimes the question, yeah. if I was really honest, was no, I want more. Every once in a while, it would be, yes, I want to do this faithfully. And those always felt like the most liberating Sundays, right? When the pressure was to faithfulness, not just production or just to show the result in the end. And I see writing in that same place. It does not mean, by the way, that I don't want my church to ever grow beyond 40 people, right? I, I think, well, God has, and I, I think he will continue to. But what I'm trying to test out is the motive of the work itself. Is it faithfulness? And I try to do the same thing with my writing. Okay, God, if no one would ever read this, if it goes online and it disappears, but in the process of writing it, I've sought you and I've tried to understand better how to glorify you. And through that experience, I've grown as a believer. Can I be faithful to that work, even as hard as the writing is? Again, some days you get caught up in the moment and honest answer would be no, I want more. But some days that yeah. answer is yes. And those always feel like the most writerly days when the work itself, when what God's doing through it is the thing that really motivates me in, in the craft and in the time that it takes. I, you know, it's, it's, I so resonate with that because for me, it's almost a constant uh, – I won't say struggle, but almost a constant balancing act between my own ambition and the thing that God wants me to do or trying to figure out if God's placed the ambition there. 
or if or if it's something that's in my flesh. And I think at the end of the day, it's, it's with writing or preaching or or just about anything, really, even if you're like starting a business or raising a family, it's being faithful to what God's asked you to do and then just let him take care of it. You know, let him take, you know, once one of the things I learned when you when you preach, for example, is once the words leave your mouth, they don't belong to you anymore. You know, they'll be heard by a person and um, perceived in a certain way, and it may have an impact. It may not have an impact. But once you're done with them, it's really out of it's really out of your hands, and it's in God's hands. And I think the same is true about the writing. I want to be faithful, you know, to the concepts. I want to be biblical. I want to be consistent. But really, once those articles are written and I've done whatever little marketing I feel like is necessary, tweeting something or whatever, it's really out of my hands. And I want to put that back into God's hands. And it's very difficult. I mean, I'm always testing my motives too. And just like you said, mine are not always pure. I mean, sometimes I just want more because I want more. And, uh, you know, at least we can own up to that. But it's sort of finding that balance between what I want, what God wants, and, and all of that. Yeah, it's uh, an evolving and constant process. There's that's for it sure. Is. Um, I want to make sure we get an opportunity to talk about your podcast as well. So you uh, not too long ago started the Bible Revealed podcast. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about the podcast, the little pitch for it, but then also how it came about. Sure. So the Bible Revealed podcast actually started out as a radio program. We this is probably four or five years ago. We started a counseling center at our church, and we wanted to promote the counseling center. And so a local radio station here, Talk Radio, said, why don't you do a um, do a radio program, and then it can sort of be sponsored by the counseling center. And it seemed like a good idea. So for about a few months, we, we produced a radio program each week that included some of my teaching and then some thoughts before and some questions after. Um, it was actually pretty expensive. It didn't really – it didn't really um, – it didn't really help the counseling center, and so we just kind of uh, set it aside for a little while. In that process, I have done several podcasts. I mean I've done podcasts since 2005. I always start them, and then I'm excited about them, and then they kind of they kind of fade away. Podcasts have a tendency to do that. I think they call the it podcast fade. Fade, yep, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's the struggle. So I've had a podcast on worship leading. I've had one on golf. I've had a podcast just for small churches, um, which was like actually kind of a – humorous type podcast like a Babylon B style thing. I've had one where I did with a with a professional licensed family therapist where we talked about stuff. Um so I'm always drawn to the idea of of doing some kind of a podcast. And I actually do a radio show for a ministry called Keys for Kids out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. So the idea of talking into a microphone in a tiny closed room is pretty um it's pretty natural for me. So we decided, uh, a couple of friends and I, let's take some of the concepts of the writing and some of the stuff that I'm teaching about and some of the blog type stuff and let's package it into a podcast. And we had all of the assets for the Bible reveal, the music and the graphics and all that. So we sort of turned it into a podcast. And the goal that I say is simply to help people fall in love with the Bible or maybe fall in love with the Bible again. So the goal is to say, you know, this book is – completely relevant today but it needs to be engaged you know um seriously for people i know that you know right now social media is such a big thing everybody just loves sharing bits and pieces of the bible verses and things like that but you know sometimes that's a challenge because people aren't understanding the big picture of the bible so the podcast is about helping people understand context it's about helping them 
understand the message of the Bible from beginning to end and sharing this idea that it is a fascinating and exciting book. And um, and I just want to provide resources to help people uh, engage with the Bible and then as a result, grow their faith. Yeah, I think the the format of podcasts, the long form where you're able to spend, you know, good luck getting somebody to spend 45 minutes reading a blog post, but people spend 45 yeah. minutes listening to podcasts all the time. I think it's such a great opportunity for that work of digging deeper into scripture and really trying to put together longer narrative pieces of scripture. So I think it's a I think it's a, a great idea and uh, wish you the best with it. Uh, maybe a good way for us to start wrapping up is what, what advice would you give? So you've, you've been exploring this. You've been writing. You've been producing books. You've been starting podcasts. You've been, you've been doing this churn, right? So without the faith, yes. as we've described it, just trying to be faithful <laughs> to this work. Uh, there are listeners out there who listen, I know, because they're fascinated in writing, but they haven't taken any of those first steps. They're kind of exploring it. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who's thinking about starting a blog, thinking about taking those initial steps into, into writing, um, the best way or the benefits for them to just jump in and start doing it? Love this question. So I'm going to pretend we're talking to me like five years ago. All right. If you're just desperate, you want to do something, you don't even know how to get started. The first thing is just do it. You've got to make a decision and say, uh, you know, I'm going to do it. And one of the things I love is Jeff Goins, who's a part of the Tribe Writers he wrote a book. It's called You Are a Writer. And the very first thing that you have to do is begin calling yourself a writer. And, and all a writer is is somebody who writes. So if you write 10 words a day or 100 words a day or if you write 500 words a week, it doesn't matter. You're a writer. And that's like a mental shift. So if you want to be a writer, you just have to start writing. And the second thing I would say is um, it's easy to get caught up in the technology and it's sort of a slippery slope. And a lot of people, they're like, I'm going to be a writer. So they'll spend all this time getting their blog to look great or, you know, investing in WordPress. And, and then the next thing you know, they haven't written anything. They have a great place for their content, but no content. So I would be cautious about that. You don't need all of the fancy programs and a lot of that stuff that you'll see uh, that's around writing circles that they're trying to sell you a bunch of stuff. I mean, honestly, you need Microsoft Word or you need Notepad or anything, but Create good content first. I think that's 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 the real thing. And I think good content means um, content that helps people and adds value to people. So no matter what your thing is, if you're a pastor out there listening or a ministry leader listening or, or ministry volunteer, what is it that you can share with people that's going to help them? What is it that's going to fill in some gaps with their faith or their understanding? Figure out what that is and then start creating some – some good content. And then, I mean, I think the biggest thing that everybody's challenged with, I'm challenged with, is the consistency. Find a way to be consistent because creativity is, I believe it's like a muscle. It has to be flexed a little bit. You can't wait around for inspiration to hit. Um, for me, my first my first attempts did not work. Um, I, I have three times I quit writing. So, <laughs> But the fourth time that I basically restarted, my goal was to write 500 words three times a week, and and once I accomplished that, I realized I can do this. Now, that may not work for everybody. Maybe you can only write 100 words a day, or maybe you can only write 500 words a week. But if you do that for a year, you'll have a book. You know, you'll have something. You know, so I think you have to just decide to get started, get your content, figure out what people want, ask them, say, what is it that I can write that's helpful to you? you people will tell you. And then just do your best to be consistent. And I, anybody listening, if you think that you can't write, 
then let me tell you something. I thought that too. I was sure that I was a bad writer. People had told me I didn't, I wasn't good with grammar. I didn't know where to put commas. None of that is important. You know, that will all be sorted out through editing. That will all be sorted out through revisions. What you need to do is, is think of those ideas and get them onto paper, get them into your computer and, uh, and you'll learn along the way. So I encourage everybody to try it. Yeah, I agree. Good, good writing is good thinking, right? You can learn, you can learn, yes. the good news is you can learn the commas. That's not a, there are rules, you can, there are books, um, but the thinking, and they that got willingness. computer programs. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And you can pay, you can pay to have help. So, but the, the, yeah. uh, the idea, the clarity, the thinking, the wrestling, that's that, that's the work itself. Well, Phil, um, it's, uh, it's been a joy to be able to have you on and I, I just appreciate your transparency, your honesty. I love being able to hear just the struggle and, and the reality of what it looks like to just try to get started in this thing because we've been there um what are ways if people want to pick up your book if they want to follow the writing you're doing check out the podcast just the best ways for people to be able to keep up with you yeah so um my book is available on, on amazon it's called flannel graph jesus it's kind of an interesting title but once you pick up the book you realize why it's called that but essentially it's this idea that you know a lot of times you know we've seen jesus as this one-dimensional character um, as a result of either bad teaching or you know um, uh, you know just Sunday school stuff, we never see him as the person he is. And that, so that's on Amazon, and uh, you can get it at my website as well. It's philairs.me, and the podcast you can find just about anywhere where you find podcasts on iTunes or in the App Store, or I think it's Apple Podcasts now, um, Stitcher, and all that stuff. It's called the Bible Revealed Podcast. And uh, yeah, I would love for anybody uh, to check that out. And by the way, I want to say to you, Chase, thanks for your podcast. I just love it. I love the content that you have and I love the work that you're doing. And it so resonates with me. So thanks for what you're doing, too. Yeah, well, it's an honor and a privilege. Get to have great conversations like this one. So thanks again, Phil. You bet. Thank you. As always, you can find show notes for today's episode by going to pastorwriter.com slash 65. There you'll be able to find a link to both Phil's blog as well as his books. And if you're interested, his book, Flannel Graph Jesus, is actually available on Audible. Pastor Writer listeners are now able to receive a free trial of audible.com along with a download for free of any book in the Audible system. So you could sign up for a trial and receive Phil's book for free. You can find that by going to audibletrial.com slash pastorwriter, audibletrial.com slash pastorwriter. As always, wanted to say thanks for those who are subscribing to the podcast, leaving reviews. If you haven't already, hit subscribe. Subscribing is one of the best ways for you to be able to learn about new episodes, and it really helps me get a better feel for the audience. It's a huge step for any podcast you listen to, and a way to show appreciation is a subscription. But as always, I just want to end by saying thanks for listening. Until next time.